ECA is proud to bring you this podcast series, Access, Participation and Positive Outcomes, Inclusion in Early Childhood. This series is co-hosted by Janet Williams-Smith, ECA's General Manager for Inclusion, and myself, Shay Halen, ECA's General Manager for Professional Learning, featuring subject matter expert guests. Together, we will draw on our experiences and professional perspectives on some of the key obstacles educators face around embedding inclusion in the early childhood education and care sector. Through sharing insights and drawing on stories of lived experiences, we hope this podcast will assist you in feeling more confident to develop inclusive strategies and support a strong community rich with diversity. Early Childhood Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands, rivers and seas upon which we walk, work and live. We pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been nurturing and teaching children on country for many thousands of years. We respect and honour that history and we seek to walk together into the future. Welcome everybody to the fourth episode in our inclusion podcast series. I'm joining you today from Nunnawal Lands and I'm pleased to welcome Catherine Hyden to this episode where we're going to be talking about ethics and inclusion. Welcome Catherine. Thanks very much Shay, lovely to be here. Catherine, you once told me that ethics was your second favourite topic to talk about. And while we still haven't landed on what your first is, I'm really keen to hear from you about how ethics links to inclusion and particularly around ethical decision-making for inclusive practice. It is indeed a favourite subject of mine, mostly because it really continues to challenge me and to help me think very deeply about the relationships that I have with the people that I work with, my own community, my family, in fact, all of humanity, if you want to take it out to that really big, big space. But I think one of the things that's really important to think about in terms of ethics is what are we talking about when we talk about ethics? And it fundamentally is about the relationships that we have with our fellow humans and the planet that we're part of, because of course we've moved beyond the human into a whole range of ethical relationships that we have with the non-human world. And it is all about the choices that we make about what is right, what is our moral responsibility, what is the best thing to do in the circumstances so that we can promote the well-being of not only ourselves but the people that we're around. And I guess ethics is a deep human pursuit that lasts us ideally for the whole of our lives. We begin those ethical conversations with children very early on and they're making choices about what is the right thing to do, what they have a right to do, choosing between something that promotes the well-being of themselves and others that might put themselves last and somebody else first. Then also to bring all of that through our childhood as we enter into adulthood and then we find ourselves in the adulting land where we have to make really big, sometimes really difficult decisions about what is right to do, when you will speak up, when you will remain silent, when you will act in a way that supports the well-being of someone who has less power and control than you do. And 
It is also the pursuit of asking ourselves a value-based and a principled question about what ought we do, not what we should do, because we're not talking about here, Shay, the pursuit of obeying the law. It's because, you know, the law is the law. The law tells you you have to wear seatbelts, so it's not really an ethical dilemma because the law says that's what we do. But everything else about, and I'm going to bring this into the car park land because it's just a very easy, tangible thing, ought to you park in a car park that has a sign on it with a pram that has been allocated for families who have very young children to make it a bit easier to get into the shopping centre. Now, there's no one around to stop you from parking there and no one's going to pull me up. But is it the right thing to do? And some of us, you know, ponder for a little microsecond and think, oh, I can't really do that because your grandma's on your shoulder going, Catherine, is that the right thing to do? Or you're thinking to yourself in another situation, I wonder if I made this decision, would I like it to be spread over the whole of the front page or put it into the Twitter sphere so that everybody knows that decision? And you might think, mm, maybe that's not a good thing because I don't really like what that says about me as a human being. So the reality around ethics is that it is deeply about our connection with other human beings and the non-human world in terms of what is right to do. And it also is an active pursuit of making choices about things that are of value, things that are principles that help us to be able to be in a positive and constructive and helpful relationship with the people that we're around. And of course, that has everything to do with inclusion because inclusion is an essential ethical act. Thinking about inclusion is something that ethical educators do every day. They might do it in micro ways, really tiny micro ways of actually bringing a child into a conversation who might be feeling a little bit ostracised. And they do it in macro ways by if they see a policy or a procedure or something that is being legislated at the national level and they think that is exclusive, they speak up through the advocacy organisations that they're a part of. So everyday educators who have an ethical commitment to act first for us in the best interests of children and their families is something that we hold very dear to us because it is a process of engagement in thinking about what matters in our practice. I think that example you gave of the car park is only topical, <laughs> but very easy to relate to. I think, would you do this if everyone was watching you? You know, would you do this if everybody knew that you did this? And I like how you've connected that with educator practice. Ethical practice is so important as educators. And as you said, so intrinsically linked to inclusion. And I wonder if you might be able to share with us some examples of ethical decision-making in early childhood that supports inclusion. Well, one of them that I really like to talk about, and you know, if we had another three days, Shay, we could talk about this for at length, but one of them that I like to think about, and it's a bit more nebulous, a little bit harder to grasp, but I think something really important for us to think about is speed is often the enemy of ethics. And I would say fast processes sometimes are the enemy of inclusion. So, if we speed up our practice and try to do things really quickly, and I know we're all very busy, I completely get it, and this time of the year, I mean, in fact, what am I talking about, any time of the year, where there's always lots of things on our agenda. And if we speed up the decision, sometimes what happens is that we inadvertently 
make a decision that is exclusive. We trap people in processes and systems and practices that are actually not very helpful. So, for example, we might say the thing that I think is a really important part of inclusion is actually the beginning of the process when we first meet families. And I know we try to do these really things really quickly and we try to get all the forms filled in and we make sure that we've got them by the 15th of something, you know, like getting all that stuff done and we're putting pressure on families. Now, at that moment, families might be feeling incredibly overwhelmed. They might have a lot of other things going on in the background that they're not going to tell you about or they might tell you about or they feel like the whole thing is overwhelming because their child has really particular special rights and they're not sure how to do those things. They don't know how to fill that form in. And the speed of the process and the pressure on that process means that they just bail out and they just disappear. And there's one of our most exclusive practices. We end up really making it so difficult for families to actually join us. And a very wise, wise practitioner, Margie Wally from the UK, kept saying to me in a visit that I made, and she's been here to Australia several times, it is not, in fact, families that are hard to reach. It is us who is hard to reach. And it's by our sped up processes and our formulaic processes that sometimes mean that families can't be a part of it. Now, one might not think that that is an unethical practice, but in fact, it takes us into unethical practices because we're speeding up and pushing, putting pressures on families. So one of the things that I would say is the most ethical thing we can do, Shay, slow down. Slow down, take time with families, listen to families and get them to share with you as much as you can through relationships. There we go, the fundamental ethical process. And in the ECA Code of Ethics, a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with that document, a document that I was very privileged to work on with a number of exceptional other people around the country. One of the things that that Code of Ethics asks us to do is to listen and learn from families. And you can't do that if you're speeding through the process. You've got to just slow down. And I know that that is challenging. And some of you are going to have to be champions for slowing the process down. Say, hold on a second. Whoa. So wait, wait, wait. The other thing in inclusive practices for all over the place is sometimes you have to wait wait for some time to think about what the implications are. And I think think with children, think with families. One of the things I always like to say to educators when there's ethical dilemmas around things like inclusion and anything else really, but particularly inclusion, is maybe we should be really open and transparent with families. We should say, we're not really sure what we're going to do here. You know, can you help us? And families are going to go, oh, well, I'd like that. And you go, well, that sounds great. Well, maybe we can modify the process to make it easier for you to participate. And it's a little bit the ramp idea, right? You think about the ramp that you put in. Now, I know that's very practical and very grounded, you know, made of concrete, you know, but a ramp is there. You know, my brother has just put a ramp in his house and it makes his access to that house better because he has difficulty walking. So he's put a ramp in. It makes his access to his home much better and easier and safer. Now, if we think about the same thing, our ethical decision-making processes ought to be going, what are the other alternatives to make sure that this person can get in? Now, sometimes it's going to be a ramp, but sometimes it's going to be slowing down the orientation process. Sometimes it's going to be a phone call rather than an email. Mm, Let's bring those back. Let's maybe say, let's have a meeting and let's start the enrolment process for you a little bit earlier. Let's come 15 minutes later or come 15 minutes earlier so that the settling in time is a little bit easier. And don't worry about that bit. This is important. Don't worry about that. We've got a drink bottle for you. Don't worry about that. 
you know, we'll do some other things, which of course goes to the very fundamental ethical notion, concept of equity, that some children need more from us, some families need more from us, some people need less from us. It's not a one-size-fits-all process. And I know we have rules and regulations, we do have those processes, but it doesn't mean to say that we approach them in a way that is exactly the same for everybody, that we change our practices so that we can slow things down, listen carefully and engage with families at the pace of natural creatures. There's some really strong messaging there, Catherine, and you've just drawn the line so clearly between ethical decision-making, inclusion, and that notion of what ought we do. I think that some of this will challenge our listeners, particularly around slowing down. I can almost hear them saying, but how? How do we slow down? How do we slow down? There's so much to do in so little time. And what I'm hearing from you is you need to just slow down. And inclusion is not an if. If we will include, it's a how. How will we include? How will we adjust? How can we do better? And I hope that this discussion really challenges educators to think about how they might slow down. And when they are speeding up and rushing, what is the outcome of that? Well, Shay, it's a really good example, actually. I've just had a conversation recently with an educator colleague who, in an attempt to be inclusive, was identifying every celebration that you could possibly do in a year. And every time I went to her service, they were doing another one, (laughs) a different one. And it became a big sort of churn process. They are starting to identify we're doing too much, you know, like we're trying to race all the celebrations we can possibly do, Diwali on one day, Halloween the next, like, oh, my goodness. It became overwhelming. And I think they worried that they were not going to be inclusive. But, in fact, in their dialogue with families, they asked families about this and the family said, we don't want you to do this. We want you to do this. And we don't worry, don't worry about that. And actually getting some guidance from families is a really important process. And I, I guess it goes to how you would go through that process. And I think you've reminded us about that is to perhaps decide what you're not going to do. And there's a lovely idea, a lovely concept, de-implementation, Shay, very nice, de-implementation because I think we talk a lot about implementation, but not de-implementation. So some of you will have to decide we are going to de-implement something in order to make room for more inclusive practice. Because if you slow down, you'll start to identify the things you haven't got time to do. And some of that needs to move away, be de-implemented, so that you can implement something that is more inclusive and that supports how families and children experience inclusion Because what you're trying to do here, and I think, you know, you've reminded us of that in this initial opening of this conversation, is we're trying to challenge exclusion. We're trying to say we don't want exclusion to be our story. And if families and children are experiencing exclusion, they will not come back. And that means that they are denied the right to an early childhood education through exclusive activity. And that could be as little as an educator judging or eye-rolling family, or as much as a systematic failure, which is much more about the enrolment processes or the funding that supports children's access to a particular program. So we need to think about what are the mechanisms that try to negate that, try to eliminate some of those barriers, so those exclusive barriers, by changing our own practice, challenging the system sometimes or finding workarounds. And then when the families are with us, we hold them because I feel like they are part of that um, program and we 
ensure that that's their experience by making sure that us as educators from time to time actively engage in ethical decision-making. We follow the ethical decision-making cycle. Early Childhood Australia has material that supports that process using the Code of Ethics where we take ourselves through a systematic ethical thinking process where we say, what are the ethical challenges? What are the perspectives of other people in that conversation? What does the Code of Ethics say? The Code of Ethics says we should listen to families. The Code of Ethics says we should listen to our colleagues. What does the Code say? What do we then decide that we will do or not do? And then think about the way we implement that and reflect on whether those practices are indeed uh, inclusive of the families and children in our own community. And we keep going through that process. And as many people who are listening will know, the more you do it, the better your match fitness, your ethical match fitness grows. And therefore, when new ethical dilemmas that are of an inclusive or exclusive nature come to us, we will be better able to make decisions. Well, I was going to ask you, Catherine, about the importance of educators reflecting as part of their ethical decision-making, but I actually don't think we need to talk about that anymore. Well, it is an important part of what we do, uh, Shay, and as everybody knows, it is a deep commitment in our frameworks, but also a deep commitment that we make within the context of the National Quality Standard. It's something that is a feature of those exceeding themes that people are exploring. So, Applying it to this space is something that educators ought to do, not should, ought to do, because it is the right thing to do and it helps us be more inclusive. Thank you so much, Catherine. You've given us a lot to think about and hopefully challenged educators who are listening to consider what they ought to be doing. And I wonder if you have any parting words for our listeners today. Well, I think be kind on yourself because it is a process of deep reflection and because it is about principles and beliefs and values, there's a lot at stake. Our very way of knowing the world can sometimes be challenged in these encounters. But in my experience of hanging out with exceptional thinkers, I feel better for it and I feel like I'm a better human being. I'm no doubt aware of the fact that we all have to keep working on that process, but Being a better human being and thinking with your colleagues around that, I think will help us all to live better. Those are really wise words of advice. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you for everyone who has listened to this thought-provoking conversation today. Our next episode, we'll be talking about bilingualism and the ways to overcome language barriers. You've been listening to Access, Participation and Positive Outcomes, a podcast about inclusion in early childhood. The copyright of this podcast is owned by Early Childhood Australia and all rights are reserved. The ECA podcast is available anywhere you might listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, Overcast and Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast.